0: Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll.
1: Any trauma to the head should be taken seriously, and there are steps to take to reduce inflammation and impact to the brain that are often overlooked in most cases. Actually, last weekend, there was a soccer game in England where two opposing players collided headfirst. One team sent their player to the hospital out of precaution, while the other team wrapped up their player's bleeding head and told him to get back to playing. And then later in that same game, another player took a ball to the head and was knocked out, and their team doctor woke him up and had him continue to play. And you would think, after all the concussion issues the NFL went through years ago, that other sports would be cautious. But that isn't the case. But concussions don't just happen from sports. There can be lots of other causes as well. What's up, everyone? I'm Brian Carroll, and I'm here to help people move more, eat well, and be adventurous. And today, I have Dr. Cabran Chopik on the show to talk about steps to take directly after a TBI to protect your brain. we talked through a lot of different strategies and ways to hack our inflammatory systems, so this is an episode you don't want to miss. And before we get started, Our yearly giveaway and podcast survey are now live. This year, we will be giving away a Vitamix to one lucky winner, and there is an additional $100 gift card by filling out a podcast survey within the giveaway. I always let the gift card winner choose a store they want to support, so last year's winner chose Trader Joe's. To enter the giveaway, go to summitforwellness.com slash giveaway. Now, let's dive into my conversation with Dr. Cabron. Dr. Cabron Chopik has been a staff physician at Amon Clinic since 2013. As a graduate of Bastyr University in the Seattle area, he is an expert in the use of functional and integrative treatments and collaborates extensively with many of the Amon Clinic's physicians. He has a special interest in the assessment and treatment of Alzheimer's and dementia, traumatic brain injuries, PTSD, and an anxiety disorders. And Dr. Chopic is the founding president of the Psychiatric Association of Naturopathic Physicians, an affiliate group of the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. (laughs) Thank you for coming on to the show, uh, Dr. Cabron. Hey, Brian.
2: Good to be here with you.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you because um, traumatic brain injuries are just so important to learn about. And there's always so many different things going on with concussions. But before we get started with that, let's learn more about you, who you are, what got you into naturopathic natu- natu- medicine, and then why are you so interested in the brain?
2: <laughs> well, um, I'm an as-, as, in, as you have said, and I'm an asphatic physician. My primary experience has been in mental health care because when I was a kid, what always got me excited was how I can feel better and how my family can feel better. They were really into nutrition, herbs. Like I always remember as a kid putting Vicks Vaporub on my chest with the mentholatum, just opening my sinuses, like I could breathe again. It was like I was coming out of a coma. It was like, felt so good. And said, oh, this is fascinating. You can do things to feel better, mind, body. And I just felt like myself again. So, I've always been fascinated with that, interested in reading about herbs, nutrition, exercise. And so, then when I was a senior in high school, I met um, one of my parents' friends who was a teacher at Bastyr University, a naturopathic medical school in Seattle. And he told me all about naturopathic medicine, opened my eyes to it, and I I knew I had to go there and that's why I went to school.
1: And since you mentioned Vicks, do you still use Vicks or do you have like a more natural way to open up those sinuses? We've
2: still got Vicks out there in the, in the cupboard for the kids. I don't know if it's just because it's what worked for me, but uh, we also do regular eucalyptus steams. It's really helpful if you have a cold, you boil a big tub of water, pour on the eucalyptus with a towel over your head and steam and opens up the sinuses. It's, it's amazing.
1: Ooh, that's really good. Especially as we start going into winter and mm-hmm. uh, people are more likely to get sick, that could be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of the areas that you like to do a lot of work with is brain injuries, yeah. and uh, I just wanted to learn a little bit more about it. Like, can brain injuries happen without us even recognizing
2: that it's a brain injury? Yeah. So most people think that you have to lose consciousness to have had a brain injury. You have to go to the emergency room to have had a concussion or brain injury or be assessed by a doctor even. And many, I would say the majority of concussions are not diagnosed and go untreated and even unrecognized because we don't see the brain, we don't see the injury. That's part of the problem. And so say you're on the soccer field, you go up for a header, you collide, heads with the other player, you see stars for a second, and then you come down and you shake it off and the coach says, go back in and continue playing. This is what happens with my kids or could happen with, you know, I pull my kids out, you know, we're not gonna keep them on the field if they're suspected of having concussion. In fact, there's rules about this now. So it just seeing stars is enough to have a to injure the brain because the brain, Brian, is very soft. It's as soft as butter the skull is hard as a rock and so imagine and there's many short bony ridges so hitting the head even whiplash injury is if it's enough to damage the neck muscles and strain them it's enough to shake and jostle the the brain inside the skull and cause injury so the brain can be damaged very easily even without knowing it interesting so you mentioned your kids and
1: i know for a long time um If there was an injury on the field or anything, then people would say, you know, throw some dirt on it, get back out there. Mm -hmm. And you being the parent, that's like, yeah, no, my kids, they're done. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of backlash would you get for that? Or do you get any backlash now?
2: Now, so I live in Edmonds and everyone's very sensitive to this. Um, And I remember at one of my kids' games, uh, there was, he plays basketball. And we heard everyone, I turned around and we heard this loud Crash, and everyone's quiet, and one of his teammates had fallen somehow and smacked his head on the wooden floor, and was dazed and sitting out and um and the the mom looked kind of frantic, like, What am I supposed to do here and so I went over and said, You know what it doesn't look like he needs to go to the emergency room sometimes you do like i I don't want to say, don't be assessed fully really and he he did see his doctor the next day to be assessed. that's the proper protocol, but she needed more help with like actually how to facilitate healing of the brain after a concussion. And so I gave her this list of things to do, which she was so grateful for. Um, And that's what's not being done. That's what's being missed. It's the standard protocol to return to play gradually, return to exercise, return to work. After a car accident, you have head injury. There's return to work protocol. All of that ignores... What is going on beneath the surface? The healing that needs to happen, the inflammation that is persisting, the swelling that may be happening at a very, you know, microscopic level that is slowly damaging the brain. Symptoms may not show up until two weeks later. I had this uh, pastor who I knew, and and um, he had a car accident. Thought he was fine. The the police, the emergency, everyone told him he was okay um but then 2 weeks later he goes to write a sermon he can't focus he can't write um uh, his memory is not working like why symptoms can be delayed because of that swelling that inflammation will build up into a tipping point and then he started having symptoms
1: Interesting. So, uh, when there is swelling in the brain, what's actually being impacted? Is it the brain cells? Is it the neurons? Is there something else Mm -hmm. actually being impacted in there?
2: This is a whole problem with the the brain and the design of the human being. We have this soft, you know, fluid-filled space with nowhere for the fluid to go if there's swelling because the skull will, it'll just increase pressure. And that increased pressure will compress the brain and start to damage the cells, the neurons, and they will begin to die, or at least be less functional. And so we have to decrease that swelling. We have to decrease the inflammation. Is really the key. Uh, and and we didn't know what happened, what how this worked until maybe like six, seven, eight years ago. They were doing. There's this new le- new round of research being done. Um, like for example, at Stanford, uh, they were able to look under a microscope at real-time brain injury in mice and see the inflammation and the swelling of microglia, sort of macrophages, these immune cells, gobbling up tissue. And the cool thing about this particular study is that after damaging these poor mice and like (laughs) giving them a little brain injury, it's just (laughs) so sad, but it's how we learn. Uh, They applied glutathione to the mouse skull topically glutathione is an intracellular antioxidant it's very potent and a mouse skull is very thin so it's able to permeate easily and if applied immediately there's 67% less cell death if applied within three hours there's 50% less cell death there's a window of time in which to act so why do we sit on the sideline or if you're dazed you've had a head injury why do we wait to see if something happens to see if you can't write a sermon 2 weeks later to see if you have problems at work problems focusing anger problems mood problems why don't we do something immediately like we we know to do for a sprained ankle we apply ice and elevation and why don't we our brain is so much more important than our ankle even though we can't see the swelling my my whole goal in helping people understand their brain health and what to do about it is to be able to act immediately to have like a first aid kit for your brain that you have with you at all times, whether you're out in the mountains backpacking or in your car, it's like part of part of your first aid kit, so that you, you know, on the sidelines with the um, the coaches or you know and, and medics, they have okay, let's start this as well as applying ice. You know, let's help the brain to heal.
1: So I would assume that the human skull is probably too thick for a topical glutathione to be able to uh, permeate through. Mm -hmm. But can you put the topical glutathione somewhere on your neck or spinal cord so that it's shuttled into the brain? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that's a reasonable strategy. There's also uh, another strategy that's been used by the U.S. military uh, in the field of battle. So, there's a study done uh, and what they had here was uh, 81... Uh, active military and what they did was they gave them N-acetylcysteine this was in 2013, the journal plus one, double blind placebo controlled trial, NAC or N-acetylcysteine the body turns into glutathione and you can take this as a pill, as a capsule, it's very safe it's over the counter and they took, within 24 hours of their injury um, 2,000 or 4,000 milligrams of NAC, and then twice daily, 2,000 milligrams for several days, and then 1,000 milligrams or 1,500 milligrams twice daily for the rest of the week. So they did this for a, a week. And the patients who were given NAC versus those who weren't uh, recovered. They checked their concussion symptoms before and after, and 86% of those who took NAC recovered had no symptoms after a week versus 42% of those who didn't. So, 42% recovered, which is about normal statistically. About half of people will have long term symptoms from a concussion that's serious versus not. But 86% is I, I would want to be in the NAC group for sure. Interesting. So, I'm, I'm trying to think
1: through some different things here. So, um, when you do start getting the inflammation then your blood-brain barrier is probably yeah. impacted at that point can you nebulize mm. NAC and um get that into the brain faster because of that blood-brain barrier being I like open
2: thinking yes so so nebula- nebulization of even glutathione you can breathe in glutathione like I have I, I think actually actually a very effective strategy there's iv glutathione if you were to have access to that um like i for my wife for covid um she was having some breathing problems i think glutathione is is an underutilized treatment for lung problems and viral infections i'll just say that because this is yeah a little yeah. sticky um <laughs> but uh yeah this is helpful for her for breathing and um Many patients, it just, it, it's an antioxidant and your body makes it. It's very fragile. It breaks down in le- light with uh, exposure and heat exposure. So, we kept, keep keeping in the fridge and stuff. But you can also do liposomal under the tongue glutathione. So, my daughter, she, you know, actually they're biking right now in front of me. And um, she fell off her bike a few weeks ago. And we did the protocol even before she was having symptoms. And she, I think she had a concussion. She had you know ringing in the ears and headache and so we gave her some liposomal glutathione plus the NAC so it's like let's let's just give it all you know sort of shotgun approach because with the brain we're finding it's not one thing that heals there's not the pill that cures concussions or the pill that cures even dementia or Alzheimer's like 200 trials have failed to find the pill to cure Alzheimer's disease. The brain is so complicated, we need a multifaceted approach. We want, you know, anti-inflammatory plus nutritive, make sure all the nutrients are there, blood flow is there. Um, The brain is getting nutrition. There's antioxidants and quenching of inflammation. And you want different mechanisms at the same time. That's what really helps with healing. Um, Make sure that there's Structural integrity, sometimes there can be impingement on the upper cervical spine, so at misalignment. Um, There can be hormonal deficiencies because of damage to the pituitary gland, the master hormone gland in the brain. So what really helps with healing is more of a program of putting all of those pieces together in order to help with healing
1: right and a lot of the stuff that you just mentioned is uh specific to the brain yeah. but i'm also thinking about um you know the dietary approaches and lifestyle approaches that a lot of people have mm-hmm. uh, might not be the best for inf- inflammation in the first place yeah. so uh with that in mind what can people do right after a head injury mm-hmm. to minimize uh just inflammatory responses mm-hmm. from environment and
2: food yeah as well? great uh so, there's a few studies on this showing that a high sugar diet or a lot of carbs slows healing after a concussion, mostly in animal studies again. And uh, there's the uh, ketogenic diet, I know it's kind of a fad right now, but it is a neurologically healing, helpful diet. And it, that's, if I had a serious head injury, that's something I would initiate if it's possible. You certainly don't want carbs or sugar, so there's this site you know, with recovery we tend to drink these, you know, drinks Gatorade and carb load and things like that. You don't want to do that after a head injury. The The brain, the um, glucose transporters in the brain and some of the utilization of glucose in the brain has not working as well after an injury. And so, here's a starving brain. Our brain uses 20 to 30% of calories in our diet in the first place. Our small little brain, it's 2% of our body weight, but using a quarter of what's on our plate, straight up to the brain. And now it's, now it's starving because it can't, because the glucose transporters are damaged. So, what, what else can we do? Well, for example, a ketogenic diet bypasses that. You're using ketones for fuel, fats for fuel versus glucose and as a fuel source so that's that really helps the brain Um, but even just a higher fat lower carb diet is an excellent strategy for most people and much easier to employ so would, uh, food quality also make an impact? Cause
1: you could do, mm-hmm. you know, a ketogenic diet where you just eat hot dogs all day <laughs> long and technically you'd be keto. Yeah. Um, so food quality, is that important yeah, as well?
2: Yeah, it is important. So the source of the fats and the, the proteins is really key. You want, um, fish and fish oil, like wild salmon, you want avocados versus like hydrogenated oils, which are going to be more pro-inflammatory, um, Definitely do organic, definitely do wild-caught and grass-fed and all of that. I think that it does make a difference. Um, and so it's avoiding the bad and doing the good as much as you can. Avoiding sugar, fried, You know, using broiled sa- – so like an ideal meal would be maybe some broiled salmon, um, half an avocado, maybe some green beans or broccoli. And uh, if you're doing carbs, some sweet potato or something like that. With some butter, grass-fed butter, that'd be a pretty good post-concussion meal. So, when there is uh,
1: inflammation in the brain, is the brain then more likely to become insulin resistant if it's not taken care of ASAP?
2: The the brain is more likely to have difficulty long term using fuel sources like normally. Yeah, that is um, with dementia. Certainly, there is like they call it type three diabetes, insulin resistance in the brain essentially. And there's many similarities between dementia and traumatic brain injury. There's a correlation there. So some of the same glucose transporters, it's it's a different type of malfunction. There's not as much insulin resistance per se, but I guess that's one way to think about it. It's like they're not, it's not use, utilizing glucose really. Mm-hmm. Perfect.
1: Um, so, uh, one of the questions that I always like to ask too is, you know, you're talking about the neck, you're talking about the head, and direct trauma mm-hmm. to those areas. Is there other ways to get a concussion that requires a whole body where you might not get hit in the neck or the head?
2: What comes to mind is military, so a, a blast injury where it can it mm-hmm. can damage the vital organs. That it's a different kind of concussive force that penetrates more deeply to the brain, and it, you know, you'll feel it. Throughout the whole body and can actually damage multiple areas of the body uh and and for example, we're talking about hormones it's more light you're more likely at pituitary damage from a blast injury than a hit to the head, although it can happen with both hmm.
1: yep. um what about like uh uh like whiplash type events where your body like if you're a football player and you're running and someone hits you just right in the mm-hmm. gut. And your whole body stops, but the head keeps moving, yeah,
2: you can have injuries from that essentially, any um we call it an acceleration deceleration f- force could cause that so fall from a height, you know, so uh, working with a guy who fell off of a ladder and uh, was remodeling his garage and just <clears throat> straight onto concrete. so he broke his shoulder, and they didn't think about his brain, but then he started having all of these you know. Anger problems and depression, and just couldn't think clearly. And it's like, oh, you, oh, I guess you injured your brain as well. And um, so, a fall, acceleration, deceleration. It's less likely if you fall and you don't hit your head. It's less likely to cause injury to your to your brain. That's going to be more subtle. Although I'll say that. Brain injuries are cumulative, they build up, so if you've had them before, you're more likely to have them further and you're more sensitive. So, you know, I have patients who are so sensitive that they've had injury, they're in recovery and then they have another car accident, a mild little fender bender. Most of us wouldn't have any symptoms, but then they're having all of their post-concussion syndrome sy- symptoms back again. So, it kind of depends on the susceptibility of the person and then... What force they were, um, what their force they were experiencing, but the football players, man, serious injuries.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of a uh, Travis Pastrana who's had a ton of head injuries in his uh, history, and now it doesn't take much. It takes like a flick of a finger, and he's out. So that's that's that compound effect that you're talking exactly. about. Exactly.
2: Yes, we've only got one brain, and some of these players are stopping. They're not playing because they've had a number of concussions. They see their predecessors at 60, 65, who said, I wish I had never played. My life is horrible. I'm depressed. I'm angry. I've lost my family. It's not worth it to them. So, like, hmm, that's that's in a sign of intelligent life. They're thinking ahead. They're getting feedback and deciding to make a different choice because their brain, you can do other things, you know. It's hard to yep.
1: see. So, if you... If you don't take care of the brain right away, um, how long can these issues last? Like the inflammation in the brain, does the inflammation eventually uh, start to subside or does it just stay there
2: and create this everlasting Mm -hmm. pressure? Some patients, it does stop, you know, so several months, um, you know, within a month, hopefully most of it's gone, but then there's people who it persists for months and years, and they just have this low-grade inflammation. They have damage. It's like these cells have been dazed, and they're not dead, but they're not working well. <laughs> so at Aman Clinics, we do a type of imaging called SPECT, single photon emission computed tomography. It's a mouthful, but it's essentially looking at blood flow of the brain, and this is much more sensitive than an MRI at assessing damage and injury. In fact, it's it will pick up ninety-four uh, percent of the time mild traumatic brain injury, which is missed on MRI. And so one of the things I've learned since working at Amen Clinics is that it's a major cause of of mental illness that we didn't even know about. And, uh, you know, four out of 10 patients come into our clinic without having had a brain injury, finding out that they actually had one. (laughs) On imaging, and that it was contributing to their symptoms of depression, or worsening ADD, or worsening their memory problem, and so when we treat that concomitantly, they get better. When, when in fact they had been to like four or five other doctors, tried like ten different medications, nothing's working. I had this patient who was uh, 24 years old when he came to see me. He's a jazz drummer. And had been suicidally depressed since he was like 14, 15 years old. Every single day. And he had been to some great therapists. He had tried lots of different medications. And the only thing that helped him was pot, smoking cannabis, pretty much every day, drinking alcohol. Had tried going to college and failed out after the first semester. Just tons of anxiety and depression. And so he was referred by a really good therapist that he had been working with when we looked at his brain there was clear injury to the left side his left frontal lobe for focus motivation concentration and his left temporal lobe for memory and mood really keeping his mood stable and I said we'll call him Jacob I said Jacob when did you have a brain injury it's clear you've had one here he said "Oh, I don't think I've ever hit my head never had a brain injury and so we asked patients ten times because Most people don't think about a brain injury that they've had in the past, Um, like we've been talking about. They didn't lose consciousness ever. So I said, did you ever fall out of a tree? Did you ever have a car accident? Did you ever fall off a motorcycle, dive into a shallow pool, fall off a fence, fall off a horse? No, no, no. His mom was with him. I said, did you play contact sports? Oh, I did start playing football around 14 years old. And he was this scrawny little kid. And just get totally pounded and dizzy and stuff. But like you said, you know, brush the dirt off, get back out there, you're you're fine. But he was dizzy and so he had had repeated mild concussions for like a year of playing football. And that's when his depression started. So we changed his meds, put him on a program to heal his brain, and then his suicidal thoughts lifted, he said, You gotta stop smoking pot. He did. Um and then he's about to graduate I think he just did graduate from the Berkeley School of Music this is now several years later doing great so it's important to heal and assess the underlying injuries as well as treat the current symptoms.
1: Interesting so with the SPECT um, you're able to see where blood flow is going and not going is that correct? Right In exactly
2: the brain? what's too active what's underactive.
1: So, uh, knowing that information, how do you then get the blood flow to start going to the right places? Is that utilizing that part of the brain for different thought processes to try to simulate it that way or do you have other methods to get that to work?
2: Yeah, that's that's the challenge, is trying to get the brain to work again. And it's it's like a muscle, it's responsive. It, if given the right environment, the brain will heal. Uh, and so, it's it's decreasing inflammation, it's stabilizing certain areas so the temporal lobes need different treatments than the frontal lobes and that's what's helpful once we've assessed them, okay you need more frontal lobe support, you need more dopamine, you need more stimulation think about ADD, think about problems focusing, a lot of folks will have uh, acquired ADD essentially after hitting their head all of a sudden they're having problems focusing, impulse control you know they'll start using drugs or making poor decisions. And uh, we want to stimulate the brain. So then we use stimulating herbs, ginseng, rhodiola, ashwagandha, uh, stimulating medications if if it's really severe and is needed. Sometimes medications are helpful. But for healing, medicines aren't really healing. It's more the nutrients and supplements that help with healing. So fish oil, multiple vitamin. um, Temporal lobes need different Kinds of support essentially, and we can get into that too. But it, um, it's more so we look at the biological piece, and then uh, one of the, one really useful tool for this is meditation, and actually meditation helps to calm the overactive centers because oftentimes there's overactive um, emotional centers as well, and this is true for brain injury. This is true for depression, man, many other issues as well. Uh, But meditation is very useful to calm that overactive, sort of like let the feelings and thoughts wash over you that are negative, and then aspects that uh, meditation stimulates or works out the frontal lobe and strengthens. There's a step above that, which is neurofeedback. Essentially, it's hooking up a cap to your head or electrodes to measure brainwave activity, Figuring out which areas are low or high and then training those, sort of like you'd work with a coach to train and strengthen some muscles. You can actually work and strengthen areas of the brain that aren't working well. Um, and then, one other treatment that I like to recommend is hyperbaric oxygen. This is like going in a tank with pressure, breathing oxygen, pushing oxygen to the deeper structures to help with healing. It's like you hear about divers going into a oxygen tank it's like that but much lower pressure over longer period of time
1: yeah the now that we have better access to hyperbaric chambers it's amazing Mm -hmm. um yeah do you guys have that at your place do you have uh one of the soft shell hyperbaric we do we have
2: a soft shell chamber uh doesn't get a ton of use because most of our patients come from many miles away and they're coming for assessment and they go back so we see patients from Alaska, Oregon, Idaho, Montana and uh, you can rent these chambers so I do recommend that quite frequently or if they have one close to them like you said they're more they're popping up on every street corner it seems like you can go do some hyperbaric and you gotta do a bunch of sessions like typically 40 to 80 sessions so in that case renting them just logistically becomes a little bit easier. Yep. Yep. Well,
1: when it comes to brain injuries, uh, what does that do for like your nervous system, your sympathetic parasympathetic systems?
2: It does a number on on them, Brian. Um, the it's it's a it's a strong link as well between PTSD for many patients. So there's PTSD and TBI, and there's some overlap. And part of it is because all of a sudden the circuits are upregulated, there's more sympathetic drive. It's harder to sleep. It's harder to relax. So oftentimes at night the brain is overactive. It's more in uh, – it's, it's, it's not that it's overactive necessarily. It's just that it can't turn off. So it's almost like a lack of parasympathetic tone is another way to look at it. So um, it's almost like you need some brain energy to get into a relaxed state. And so it's like you imagine the lights – fluorescent lights that are kind of flickering they're not quite on they're not quite off that's what their brain is like after an injury it's not on it's not off it's just so in the daytime person's sleepy and tired and they, they can't do much and then at night they can't sleep their brain's on just a little bit not enough to do anything but not it can't turn off either so they're sort of in this limbo state it's not very fun
1: Right. Um, one of the other questions I want to ask you is about helmets. Um, and I know there's a lot of technology going into helmets. Are helmets actually protecting uh, the brain from concussions? Or is it more just protecting you from a uh, physical injury to the
2: skull? A Helmet's not going to keep you from having a concussion. If you're playing football, for example, having the nicest helmet, you know, doesn't mean you you're not going to have repeated subconcussive hits to the brain and that's accumulating towards problems. Um although it, the nicer helmets I'm glad to see it, they do lessen the impact and so they're it's going to be less severe and uh definitely should be still done but it's not it's not the answer to like football for example or you couldn't like start boxing and just because you're wearing a helmet or something like this, it's like that part of it's the acceleration deceleration force. Part of it's just the impact is still there because you you got this soft brain inside the skull. It just gets it hits up as against the skull is a problem. It's, you sort of need something on the inside to protect the brain, not just on the outside.
1: Yeah, I believe um, rugby players have like the least amount of injuries or concussions out of all the different sports. And it's because they don't really have helmets. Um, So they learn to protect their head because if they don't protect their head, it's not good (laughs) for them. So that's why all of them have those like super thick necks. They're just really strong and burly, but they're protecting their head at all times. Oh, that's
2: brilliant. Love that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's super mm-hmm. interesting. Um, well, is there any other things that you want to make sure that we touch on when it comes to TBIs and concussions?
2: It's never too late to try and heal the brain from injury. So, we've worked with retired NFL and that the, the important work about that is that even if you've had a concussion 20 years ago from a car accident, say, um, it's not too late to try and heal the brain. And it's not to say you know, we can heal the brain as fast or as well as we could immediately after injury or even when you were younger, but we can, and I've seen this repeatedly, we can improve function, we can improve how the brain is working, we can scan the brain before and after and see improvements. So, these football players, we essentially took 30 of them, we tested them for mood problems, Uh, they were angry, uh, depressed, focusing issues, and... Uh, Scanned them, gave them treatment, supplements, diet, exercise, ruling out sleep apnea. Some of them got hyperbaric oxygen. And then six months later, you know, 70, 80% improvement, not only in scans, but in their, how they're feeling, focus, improvement in mood. And uh, this very eye-opening for me that um, you can heal and improve the brain even many years later, it's like those cells that are days, but not fully dead were reawakened. And that's what we're trying to re- do, rejuvenate um, the brain and improve function. It's never too late.
1: Perfect. And then uh, my final question is, what is your vision of what healthy looks like? And what are three things you do daily to reach that
2: vision? It's a great question. I think about this in four spheres, if you think about biology, psychology, social, spiritual. If you've got all those four in alignment, you're doing pretty good. And spiritual can be a sense of purpose in life. I spend a lot of time working with people on biology, uh, and you know, it's so- social is your relationships. Psychology is how you're thinking about things, your positive attitude. Um, biology is really getting your nutrition, your fuel intake, your rest, and um, activating, exercising. Uh, Three things I do each day, especially lately, I need some alone time. (laughs) I sort of like work, school, uh, or kid's school, uh, and I just need a minute alone sometimes to reset my batteries, and sometimes that's with meditation, sometimes that's just going out in the garden. Uh, I, I go for a run each morning, most mornings I'll say, and then protein at each meal, like keeping stable blood sugar equals stable focus and stable mood for me. So those are, those are some things that I do, I think are important. I recommend to patients too.
1: So now I'm curious, how much protein do you shoot for each day?
2: I'm about 20, 25 grams per meal, kind of a deal. And, um, you know, I think I'm about 75 kilograms something like one, one gram per kilogram body weight, something like that. Um, some days a little more, some days a little less. I find that if I'm stressed and working hard, I need more protein. If I'm on vacation, I could almost be like vegetarian. Um, when I did keto, I did lots of meat, lots of fat. That's one thing I don't think we get enough of that I learned from keto is the fat, how helpful fat is for the brain and stabilizing blood sugar is something that being raised in the 80s and 90s I took for granted like it was the low fat generation and fat is bad but reprogram myself I think fat is good and healthy and very useful for especially your brain is mostly made of fat too.
1: Right which uh, that also brings up another question that popped in my head Um, what about exogenous ketones? Right after a concussion, yeah,
2: I think that's an excellent strategy, and I talk about that in the in the book Concussion Rescue. Uh, I I think that um, they're useful after a concussion. They're useful in addition to a low carb diet. I think on their own, they can't really, they don't do a lot other than just you know, (laughs) they're just not helpful unless you're also doing a low carb diet (laughs) because your body's using them. Uh, differently as I'll say that.
1: You can't hack a bad <laughs> diet with just uh, exogenous ketones. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, people can find more about you at amonclinic.com and you are located in Bellevue, Washington for the Amon Clinic. You also have uh, your concussion rescue book that you mentioned and you also have a course. Can you talk about the yeah, course? Yeah, the
2: course is based on the book. It's for people. Some people after concussion can't read Uh, Well, and so they need to watch something just kind of simplifies it and um, yeah, makes it easy for people. Um, There's also an audible version of the book if you have difficulty reading.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, This is such important information. And um, I know that there's a lot of people out there that are just kind of pushing through and uh, living life with these different brain issues. So I'm glad that people like you are out there helping that out. So
2: thank you. My pleasure. Delight to talk with you, Brian.
1: I had a fantastic time brainstorming with Dr. Cabron and working through different ideas on how to better manage brain injuries. And there was a lot that we covered. So you can always go to the show notes at summitforwellness.com 137 to see the timestamps, resources, and transcripts of the episode. Also, don't forget that our giveaway for a free Vitamix and $100 gift card is now open. Go to summitforwellness.com giveaway to learn more. Next week, I have Dr. David Rabin on the show. Let's go learn who he is and what we will be talking about. I am here with Dr. David Rabin. Hey, Dr. Dave, what is one unique thing about you that most people don't know? Uh,
0: most people don't know that I happen to have an, uh, somewhat of an expertise in esoteric sports. Uh, in high school and college, I played competitive table tennis. Um, in uh, medical school, I played competitive dodgeball. Um, and before all of that, I played competitive Foursquare. And I also played mainstream sports too, but I think that's the one of the funny things that a lot of people don't know about me. And I also produ- I also for fun in my spare time, I love to um, listen to and produce music of, of several different kinds. So um, yeah that's uh, that's my, my esoteric fact. <laughs>
1: you seem like a tall and lengthy kind of dude. So I feel like table tennis and stuff. That's a little unfair that you have such a big reach. I'm definitely
0: not tall. I'm very average sized. I'm (laughs) I'm five, five, nine and one (laughs) forty five. That's three inches taller than me. So, (laughs) well, what will we be learning
1: about in our interview together?
0: Uh, So I think we're going to, we're going to talk about um, mental health, uh, the past, present and future of mental health. Um, we're going to talk about uh, where we're at with psychedelic medicines and the future of, of mental health as it relates to um, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy and the state-of-the-art approaches to healing that, that brings to the table. Um, and we'll also learn about uh, wearable approaches, herbal plant medicine approaches, and um, Apollo Neuroscience, which is a company that's uh, commercialized technology that I developed at the University of Pittsburgh to help um, – help us cope with chronic stress and improve performance and recovery under stress uh, that can help reduce some of the burden of modernity that we've been facing lately in particular.
1: And what are your favorite foods or nutrients that you think everyone should get more of in their diet?
0: Mm, I like that question. Um, Favorite foods. I would say, um, well, I think the foods and nutrients actually go hand in hand because I really like mushrooms and I think mushrooms are something that a lot of people don't eat enough. Um, everything from shiitake mushrooms to oyster mushrooms and, um, you know, some of the ones that we more typically eat, king, uh, king trumpet mushrooms, these you know c- more common ones, maitakes, are very healthy. Uh, and they carry a lot of, of nutrients for us. And then also going into the supplement category, Um, things that come with like the Stamets 7 or Paul Stamets, who's like one of the leading mushroom experts and I'm a huge fan of his work. Um, And he has developed some really amazing supplement formulations that combine like 14, seven to 14 different kinds of therapeutic mushrooms in small doses. You can take in a powder or a capsule. Um, So as far as my favorite supplements and foods, I would say those are at the top. And then next to that, I would say... Um, you know, non psychoactive cannabis products are, are second. Second there, things like cannabidiol is, and, and particularly raw cannabidiol that's um, obtained in a pure, natural, organic way without contaminants. Most cannabidiol out there is contaminated, unfortunately. So, raw cannabidiol or cannabidiol that is either CBDa or CBD that's non contaminated is really incredible, powerful stuff. Um, Great for anxiety. Great for mood balancing for a lot of people. Great for pain. Great for appetite suppression for those of us who want to lose weight um, and great for metabolism. And then also the other cannabinoids that are kind of on the, on the forefront are like CBG, CBC, um, CBN. And there, and there's lots more on the non-psychoactive side of the, of the cannabinoid front that is very exciting and on, on the way into our, into our culture.
1: And what are your top three health tips for anyone who wants to improve their overall wellness?
0: Top three health tips are, uh, number one, I would try to do your best to practice the four pillars every day that you can, or every moment that you can every day, And the four pillars are similar to the four virtues of ancient Buddhism and Hinduism, but they come from South American tribal medicine and they are self-gratitude, self-compassion, or sorry, self-forgiveness, self-compassion and self-love. And the practices of these every day basically reinforces and builds up the foundation of trust in ourselves that allows us to heal most effectively and allows us to reach our fullest potential most effectively. So um, as far as things that we can do that are really tangible within our grasp, I would say, number one, just thinking about those things every day to start, just keeping them fresh in our minds and ways that we can show ourselves, not we're really good at showing others these things usually, but ways that we can show ourselves, gratitude, forgiveness, compassion, and self-love are really game-changing for us on our growth and healing process. Um, the number two would be move, always keep moving, always keep trying to get exercise. I also struggle with this. It's something that all busy people I think struggle with, but it could not be more important now than ever to try to do everything we can to get, you know, 30 minutes of moderate physical activity a day or every, or most days it doesn't have to be intense. It just has to be a moderate level of physical activity for 30 minutes a day can be really, really important for our health in the long term. And I think the, the last thing, I mean, there's a lot of things here that are important to talk about, but I think the last thing is um, really looking at challenge like an opportunity for growth. So really divorcing ourselves from this idea that challenge is something we should be afraid of or that we should be worried about or run from because we're always faced with it every day and it's never going to go away. Challenge will always come at us as long as we're on this earth. It's just part of life. Um, And Nietzsche said it the best, which I think was echoed by Obi-Wan, which is that that which does not kill us will make us stronger, right? So it's this idea that when we overcome challenge that we face, we actually become better at life, which is inherently and, and more likely to overcome the next challenge that we face, which is ultimately what resilience really is. So the sooner that we can change our mindset to like to jump to accept that failure is inevitable and just jump on challenge as a learning opportunity and a growth opportunity, then the sooner that we will be on that path to reaching our greatest, fullest version of ourselves.
1: Dr. Rabin was so much fun to chat with. And there were lots of questions I wanted to cover in a short amount of time. And that may be one of the top contenders for episode of the year next year. So until next week, keep climbing to the peak of your health.